turn this morning once again to the Gospel of Matthew, where we pick up our series today in the final verses of chapter 9. So the Gospel of Matthew and the ninth chapter. Fathers, we open your word, make us conscious that we are handling precious things, and that this word comes from you and is therefore not simply advice, not simply suggestions, but a mandate from on high. Help us to take it that way and to put into practice what we hear today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been with Jesus in this Gospel of Matthew for the last few chapters now, as he's ministered in various villages and cities, mostly of Galilee, performing his mighty works among the people, and perhaps uh, you might remember the cleansing of the leper, for instance, or the raising up of the paralytic, the opening of the eyes of the blind, the Sermon on the Mount with its mighty teaching, and so on. And we have these words here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, as a summary statement of Jesus' activities at this period. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of of sickness. And if verse 35 gives us, gives us a summary of Jesus' activities, verse 36 gives us a marvelous portrait of his heartbeat toward the people to whom he ministered, the people whom he healed and taught and preached the gospel to. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now that heartbeat, that glimpse of the heartbeat of Jesus, that he felt compassion for these distressed, dispirited people like sheep without a shepherd is a good reminder to us, isn't it? The Pharisees saw these people, some of them at least, merely as tax collectors and sinners, people with whom they wouldn't see fit to share the same dining table up in verse 11. And sinners such people were. People who had turned their backs on God. People who had gone their own way. People among whom there was none righteous, not even one. And Jesus himself nowhere denied these realities. But Jesus, instead of joining the Pharisees in condemning such people... And instead of condemning others who may not have been as far out as the, quote, tax collectors and sinners, but who, like us, were still sinners in their own right, instead of condemning these people, Jesus, verse 36, felt compassion for them. No, he was not blind to their sin, but he had compassion on them even in the midst of their sin. Compassion on their distress and dispiritedness. Here, Some, though not all of which distress and dispiritedness was surely related to their own sins. And he felt compassion too on their lack of faithful biblical shepherds who might lead them 
in the everlasting way. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he came, of course, to be their shepherd, healing their diseases, ministering to their distresses, guiding them in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and ultimately laying down his life for the sins of the sheep. And all this is a good reminder for our own day and for us who are church-going and who hopefully do live different from the world, but who might be tempted like the Pharisees to condemn the spiritually disheveled folks around us. Are they sinners? Yes. Are some of their problems related to their sins? Absolutely. But instead of condemning them with the Pharisees, we ought to have compassion on the sinners around us with our Lord Jesus, who had compassion on the confused people in his own day, who has compassion on the spiritually bedraggled in our own day, who has compassion on us in our sins, and who has come to be a shepherd to distressed, dispirited, shepherdless people. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and spilled his very life's blood in order to bring lost, wandering sheep into his fold. And those of us who are already in the fold ought, therefore, to care deeply about those sheep and about Christ's mission to them. Or to move to the metaphor that Jesus uses in the last two verses of Matthew 9, Jesus was born into the world that first Christmas, and he laid down his life in this world in order to bring a harvest of souls, lost souls, into his barn. And he wants his people, in verses 37 and 38 here, to invest their prayers in that harvest. He wants us to care about the harvest of lost souls. Not to write them off like the Pharisees, but to care and to invest our prayers in his harvest. Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And on this first Sunday of our missions week, as we zero our attention in on these final two verses of Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to try and unpack them for us in four simple portions today. We're going to think about the harvest. We're going to think about the workers. We're going to think about the prayer, and we're going to think about the Lord. And we'll begin by considering in the first place the harvest, here in verses 37 and 38. The harvest, Jesus says, is plentiful. Now, as our family traveled in recent days through West Tennessee and down through North Mississippi, I was disappointed by the fact that we had gotten there just at the tail end of the cotton harvest. I wanted our children to see the marvelous sight, and I wanted to see it again, too, of autumn cotton fields stretching away back from the road, flush with cotton balls, and literally white for harvest. 
but alas, we got there a little too late, and most of the fields had already been picked clean. But we did see a few fields still full, still white for harvest, that were little glimpses of what I hope was a plentiful harvest season in the land of my youth. And you can imagine, perhaps, had we passed through just a little earlier in the fall, how we would have seen multiple fields just filled with white, like a brimful bowl of popcorn, practically begging for the workers to come and reap a plentiful harvest. In Ohio, you can picture the same phenomenon with fields bursting with corn, or in Kentucky with fields covered with tobacco, so that most of us can picture in our mind's eye a brimming field of some sort, somewhere, just waiting to be picked that helps us to envisage the harvest imagery that Jesus speaks of here, that lays at the root of his metaphor here at the end of Matthew 9. We know what it is, in other words, to see a plentiful harvest ripe for the picking. And Jesus is saying here that this was the state of affairs as he looked out on fields full of people here in Matthew 9. Fields full of people. The harvest among people, he is saying here, is plentiful. The fields that he's looking out over in his ministry in and around Galilee are full and ripe for the picking. These people, in other words, these distressed, dispirited, shepherdless people are ready, he is saying, to be gathered into my barn. They are ready to be shepherded into my fold. They are ready to be swept gloriously into my kingdom. Lots of them, he says. The harvest is plentiful. And we can see that it was if we think back over what we've read in these recent chapters of Matthew. Large crowds, we are told, were gathering at the end of chapter 4 and following Jesus in his Galilean ministry. And not only people from Galilee itself in chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, but from surrounding regions as well. And these crowds were amazed, not only with Jesus' miracles there in chapter 4, and as we also saw early in chapter 9, where they were awestruck and glorified God over Jesus' dealings with the paralytic, but these crowds were amazed not only with Jesus' miracles, but also with his teaching. For we read, didn't we, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 7, that when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And so you see, there was a great openness to Christ in these days of his Galilean ministry. The fields were ripe for harvest. The harvest was plentiful in these days. And we might look at that and we might see the crowds gathering in Matthew 9 and hear what Jesus says about the plentiful harvest here. And we might think, boy, would that it were so in our day. Would that people were flocking to Christ in 2017. Would that crowds were gathering here to hear the word of the Lord. And those can be helpful and healthy laments. But while we long for such days in our own city and in our own time, let us not forget that while the harvest may not always be quite as plentiful as in Matthew chapters 4 through 9, 
God is still and God is always at work in the world, tilling the soil in various places, preparing the ground in various places, growing a crop in various places, so that while the plentiful harvest may not be here, there is probably a great turning to Christ happening or ready to happen somewhere in this world filled with people created in the image of God. I think, for instance, about what God has been doing in China in recent decades where millions upon millions of people have turned to Christ. And let us remember, too, that while God sometimes readies whole fields for harvest, as here in Matthew, he also sometimes gathers his crop by ones and twos from planter pots, as it were, rather than from great plantations. But he's still bringing about his harvest. Along these lines, I'm always encouraged when I get the newsletter of a certain one of our missionary partners serving in a country in which the population is overwhelmingly Muslim, serving in a place, to be sure, in which the harvest is being gathered by ones and twos and not with a combine harvester. It's not a place that might readily come to our mind when we think about the harvest being plentiful. And yet, in nearly every newsletter from our friends there, there's a prayer request for some Muslim man or other who has requested a New Testament or who is reading the Gospel of John for the first time or who has asked the missionaries to tell him more about Christ and Christianity. That sort of thing is in almost every newsletter, and it's happening among a vastly majority Muslim population. And so you see, the harvest is more plentiful than we might sometimes expect. God is at work in the world, advancing Christ's kingdom. And just because we don't always see a bountiful harvest here, doesn't mean that there isn't one sprouting up somewhere. The harvest was plentiful in Jesus' Galilean ministry, and the harvest is plentiful today if we have eyes to see it and prayers that God would show us where it is. And maybe, just maybe, if we are diligent to be out in our local fields ourselves, we'll find that it's not so bleak even here as we might have come to think. So that's the first thing this morning, the harvest. Because the Lord of the harvest is always at work, the harvest is plentiful in various places in the world, even in our own day. But we need now not only to consider the harvest, but also in the second place, the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There were great crowds flocking together from Galilee and elsewhere who were open to Jesus and who were amazed at his teaching and who were listening to his gospel. But in comparison to the size of the crowds, there were comparatively few people who could work with Jesus to actually minister to them. The scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the men who ought to have been ready to labor with Christ in bringing in the harvest, who ought to have been ready to serve with Christ in gathering his sheep, by and large these men seem to have been fairly useless in the tasks of gathering the harvest and shepherding the flock. Remember, verse 36, that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. And so the workers in these days were indeed few. And it's a sad commentary on the state of affairs among these men who ought to have been shepherds 
for the flock among the covenant people of God in those days. The harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few. The men who could minister to them were few. Now, in our day, thinking about actual agriculture, you often only need a few workers, right, to bring in a cotton harvest or a corn harvest or a soybean crop or what have you. Large agricultural machinery has caused plentiful harvests and few workers to be much better partners in these days of technological advance. And you know, in God's field, sometimes he works at least somewhat in a similar way. Sometimes God pours out the Holy Spirit in such great measure that in terms of human labors, one man can reap a tremendous harvest through powerful evangelistic preaching. One thinks of the vast numbers of people, for instance, who were converted in the 18th century through the preaching of Whitfield and through the preaching of Wesley and others. These men were like God's combine harvesters, being used by the Spirit to sweep hundreds and thousands of people into the kingdom of Christ through their preaching. And so sometimes God uses combine harvesters. But most of the time, it seems to me, most of the time, the Lord of the harvest is gathering his crop through much more old-fashioned farming techniques. Most of the time, instead of the combine harvester driven by one man, most of the time God sends a whole slew of people out into the fields with their sickles and their gunny sacks and their gloves on their hands addressing one ear of corn or one stalk of cotton at a time. Most of the time, in other words, God uses average preachers preaching faithful but fairly average sermons over a long period of time and bringing in a soul here and a soul there. And at the same time, and with just as much importance, God most of the time uses average lay people as well who harvest one stalk at a time, who pick one ear of corn at a time, who work with one cotton ball at a time, who share the gospel, in other words, one person at a time. And this farming technique, of course, requires lots of workers. We can't just wait around for a Whitfield or Wesley combine harvester to come along and harvest the fields all at once. We must all get out into the fields and work one by one by one in order to bring God's harvest in. And you know, even when God does use the combine harvester, even when God does use a Whitfield to harvest dozens or hundreds of souls, sometimes in a single swoop, if we look more carefully at what was going on, we'll find that there were a great many hands at work, usually, plowing, planting, watering, praying, before the combine ever came through the fields. And so God's work of gathering lost sinners into his barn calls for many hands. The workers in his harvest should be many, not few. And what that means is that here at home, here in Cincinnati, first of all, here in our own neighborhoods, here at Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church, we need many hands involved. We need many bodies out into the fields. We need many people carrying their sickle and carrying their sack and bringing in the sheaves for Christ. We all have a part in getting the gospel to this city and to these children sitting in the pews with us this morning and to the guests who come through these doors and to our co-workers and neighbors and family and friends. 
Let it not be said here that the workers are few. And on this Missions Week, it is important for us to say, even if it weren't Missions Week, it would be important for us to say, let it not be said on the mission field either that the workers are few. One of the reasons we have a Missions Week every year is to highlight the fact that workers are needed to go and gather Christ's harvest on foreign fields. Some of us in this room, perhaps, need to go. And some of us need to let or even to encourage our children or our grandchildren to go. Because in so many places, the workers are indeed few. In so many places where Christ deserves a harvest, there are not yet many people there who could go about gathering it. For instance, according to the 2010 edition of Operation World, which is a phenomenal resource that I would encourage you to get if you don't already have it, according to Operation World, in the nation of France, quote, there are more people earning a living in occult practices than there are registered doctors and ten times more than evangelical pastors and missionaries. Listen to that again and let it sink in. In France, there are more people earning a living in occult practices than there are registered doctors and ten times more people earning a living in occult practices than there are evangelical pastors and missionaries. Now, it's true, God does not reap his harvest simply through the hands of pastors and missionaries. We were just saying that all of us need to be out in the fields laboring in God's harvest. But with that said, ten times more professional occultists than ministers of the gospel in France? The workers there are few. And also, according to Operation World, as of 2010, the entire evangelical population of France stood at only 1%. And so, even among the lay people of France, the workers, by sheer dint of population, are few. And so, if France is to be fully evangelized, if a great harvest is to be gathered among the French, it seems very likely to me that some workers are going to have to go there from outside France's own borders. Maybe someone in this room. Maybe one of the little ones being cared for right now in the nursery. Or think about the vast Muslim world. The workers in much of the Muslim world are few, and in many places they are non-existent as of yet. I would imagine were we to go on a survey trip and just travel from village to village to village, we would find many villages where there's not a single believer in Christ in the entire place. And if a harvest is to be gathered among those villagers, someone will have to go to them. Maybe someone from this very congregation. The workers are few. Some of us were talking on Friday night about Iceland. And I was saying that I would love to visit there. I would love to go to Iceland and take in Uh, the scenery there, especially with the cheap flights that have become available. It's a land of great natural wonder, great evidences of the creative hand of God. But I got to thinking in relation to our passage today about the spiritual condition of Iceland 
And I, lo- I looked it up in Operation World again, and I read this sentence concerning Iceland. Some of the more isolated areas are spiritual wastelands with almost no active Christianity at all. Some of the more isolated areas of Iceland are spiritual wastelands with almost no active Christianity at all. Now, I would imagine that some of those isolated areas that they're referring to are actually some of the very places that would be most fascinating to visit in terms of taking in the Icelandic scenery, right? But they are largely isolated from the gospel as well. Christian work is minimal. The laborers in Christ's harvest are few. And perhaps some of those few laborers could use someone to come and encourage them and work alongside them in planting and watering and, Lord willing, growing an ever or gathering an ever-growing harvest in the remote places of Iceland. Maybe it will be somebody you know. Maybe it will be you. The harvest is plentiful, brothers and sisters. God is still at work in the world, sometimes reaping large fields, often gathering by ones and twos, but he is gathering a plentiful harvest. People are coming to Christ. God is preparing people to come to Christ. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, in many cases, are few. We need more workers on the foreign field, simply put. And I urge you to consider whether you might be one of them. Whether you might be among those whom God is calling to go labor for him in France or in Iceland or in Iran or in Indonesia or wherever. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So then we've considered the harvest and we've noted the fewness of the workers here in Matthew 19. And then let us also notice in the third place the prayer. A prayer that is commanded here. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. There was a lot of work to do. Going back to the context of Matthew 9, there was a lot of work to do in the harvest fields of Galilee and in the regions round about. The harvest there was plentiful in these days when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. And there was need of more workers. The workers were few. And so putting two and two together here, lots of work to do in Galilee and round about and few workers to do it Putting those two things together, we might assume that the very next thing Jesus would say here at the end of Matthew 9, after pointing out the plentiful harvest and the few workers, we would think perhaps that the next thing he would say would be to tell the disciples to go, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, go, disciples, and preach the gospel. Go, disciples and gather the harvest go disciples and gather people into my kingdom through the preaching of my name and as we'll see in chapter 10 lord willing on wednesday night jesus does tell his disciples to go jesus does send them out to work in his harvest but it's worth taking careful notice here that before he tells the disciples to go in chapter 10 he first tells them to pray here at the end of chapter 9 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Prayer is vitally important in the cause of fulfilling the Great Commission. Prayer is indispensable in reaping Christ's gospel harvest. Jesus doesn't just want his disciples to go, although he does want that, but he wants them to pray. And he wants them specifically to pray here that God would raise up workers and send them into the harvest. Lord, I beseech you, send out workers into these brimming but underworked fields. Now, as chapter 10 will show us, praying for God to send workers does not get you off the hook for being the worker in whatever ways God is calling you to be a gospel messenger yourself. We need to be willing, in other words, for God to make us the answer to our own missionary prayers. But praying in and of itself is important enough that even before Jesus sends the disciples to go be gospel workers, he tells them to pray for more gospel workers. Prayer is that important. And it should be that important to us. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would send out more gospel workers into our own city. We need to pray, in other words, that God would bring more and more faithful pastors here and build more and more faithful churches here. And we need to pray, too, that we Christians who are already here will go more and more into the fields of harvest ourselves, sharing the good news of Christ's incarnation and his sinless life and his substitutionary death and his resurrection on the third day, and therefore looking for a crop as we preach his gospel one-on-one or to groups. And we need to pray especially, I think, for the foreign mission field, which in so many places has far fewer workers than we do. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest in France, in Iceland, in Indonesia, and so on. Now, we should indeed beseech the Lord of the harvest on behalf of the missionaries who are already there. That's vital. That's never to be forgotten or overlooked. But the specific call of our text today is that we would pray that God would send more workers to work alongside the few who are already hard at work. It's also true that we should beseech the Lord of the harvest surely, specifically for the people themselves who need the gospel, and especially for the unreached people groups on which, praise God, a great deal of research has been done in our day so that we can know, for instance, about the Nashi people of China or the Afar people of Ethiopia or the Siwa people of Egypt and so on. Praying specifically for the people groups is so important. But our text today reminds us that one of the ways we should be praying for the people groups is specifically that God would send workers to them, right? Beseech the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. And so it's important that we pray for the spread of the gospel and that we pray in the specific way that Jesus commands here. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. 
So you might pray that just generally. Verse 38, just pray that in general. You might even be more specific with that. You might pray for the Lord to send out workers into a specific harvest like France or Iceland or some specific people group that you read about uh, on that wonderful website, The Joshua Project, which I'd recommend to you alongside Operation World. It will tell you about all sorts of people groups in the world. You might use that resource or use Operation World, or just think about countries that you know of and pray that God would send out workers to that specific people or place. Or you might pray this specifically by praying for a specific Bible college or seminary, like Southern Seminary down the road in Louisville, for instance, or for a specific church like ours or some other church that's been important in your life, that God might raise up missionaries from that specific school or church. You might pray for our International Mission Board that we are supporting through this Lottie Moon Christmas offering and ask the Lord to raise up workers that the IMB can send. And you might, if you want to put verse 38 into a specific sort of a prayer, you might, without attempting to be the Holy Spirit to them, you might pray for specific people who seem like God has shaped them that they might be good missionaries. You might pray for them, that God might call them and prepare them and send them into the harvest. I think of the great missionary John G. Payton, whose story you can pick up from our resource rack uh, in his own autobiography, and then there's also a children's biography of him. John G. Payton tells us that his father wanted to be a pastor But other claims forced him to give it up. But his father then prayed with his wife that God would make their son a missionary of the cross. He prayed specifically that God might make his son a missionary. Now, the parents didn't tell John Payton that this was their prayer because they didn't want, they said, to bias him. But this is what Payton's father said to him when he learned that his son was considering the foreign mission field. Heretofore, he says, we feared to bias you, but now we must tell you why we praise God for the decision to which you have been led. Your father's heart was set upon being a minister, but other claims forced him to give it up. When you were given to them, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn, to be consecrated, if God saw fit, as a missionary of the cross. And it has been their constant prayer that you might be prepared qualified and led to this very decision and we pray with all our heart that the lord may accept your offering long spare you and give you many souls from the heathen world for your hire and god answered that prayer and made their son one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived and perhaps some of you might just quietly but fervently be praying something like that for your own child or children. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So the the harvest, the workers, the prayer, and finally the Lord. The Lord of the harvest. Let us remember that the God to whom we pray, 
The God whom we beseech to send out workers into his harvest is the Lord, verse 38, or the master of the harvest. He is the owner of the fields. It is his harvest, Jesus says at the end of verse 38. And because he is the Lord of the harvest, because it is his field, because it is his harvest, that means that the Lord cares about the outcome of the harvest even more than we do. And therefore, don't you think that if we pray for more workers, he'll surely send them? Don't you think this God who cares about the harvest more than we do will answer a Matthew 9.38 kind of prayer? Surely he will. Now, he may not always answer it in the way that we think, He may not always send the specific workers that we thought he would send. He may not always send the workers in the timing that we imagined. But I tell you that as the Lord of the harvest, God cares about the reaping of his fields far more than we do. And so if we care enough to pray, well then surely he cares enough to answer when we beseech him to send out workers. And let us say this as well. God's place as the Lord of the harvest not only indicates his ownership of the harvest, but it also speaks to his sovereignty over the harvest's outcome. God is Lord of the harvest in that the harvest of his fields will assuredly include every bale, bundle, bushel, and ounce of crop that he intends to. To reap. He is Lord of the harvest. He will bring it about. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, Jesus said in John 6. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And that means that the preaching of the gospel will be effective. The elect will hear and will come into the kingdom. The harvesters will reap their crop. And when all is said and done, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be gathered around the throne. The cause of world missions cannot fail. The Lord of the harvest, who spent his son's own precious blood to save his chosen people, will ensure that they come in. And that means, once again, that we can pray Matthew 9.38 with great hope. God will bring the harvest in. And therefore God will hear our prayers for the sending out of workers who by the preaching of Christ do the reaping. So pray, brothers and sisters. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. It is a foolproof investment of your time and energy. Pray for more gospel laborers. Pray for more missionaries. Yes, pray this on Missions Week, but then keep praying, Matthew 9, 38, until the harvest has been fully gathered and we are all around the throne together in glory. Eternity, when all the fields have been harvested and when all the crops from all the nooks and crannies of the globe have been gathered into the heavenly barn will prove that it was worth it. And so, my friends, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest.